There is more to this human story than simply that I am born and then die. Jesus has burst that story wide open. There is much, much more to me than the dates written on the tombstone and an obituary will ever tell. The psalmist prays that God would satisfy us with his steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. All of us need to be taught to number our days that we have that heart of wisdom. Couple this thought with that of the writer of Hebrews' call for the church to exhort one another while it is today. What results is a combined message for the church to seize the day, striking while the iron is hot and taking the bull by the horns. What does this look like when the church seizes the day? Welcome to the Sand Hills Lutheran Ministry Podcast. I am Pastor John Edding. The title of this sermon on the 20th Sunday of Pentecost is When the Church Seizes the Day. This is a sermon on Psalm 90 and Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19. Thanks be to God. Let's get to the sermon. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the 1989 movie, The Dead Poets Society, the actor Robin Williams plays the part of an English teacher by the name of Mr. Keating, who is trying to use poetry to inspire his students at an all-boys high school. There is this scene where he takes the students out of the classroom into a hallway And prominently situated in the hallway is a trophy case filled with trophies and and pictures. Pictures of of former classes of students. Pictures of students who have long since died. And he has them open up their hymnals and read and, and turn to this hymn, to the virgins to make much of time. So after some giggling, a student reads, Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying, and this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. And Mr. Keating says to uh, his student, Mr. Pitts, Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Seize the day. Then he has them to move in and take a close look at the pictures. Take a close look at the faces from the past. And he says, they're not that different from you, are they? Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. And did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable. Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen closely, if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Do you hear it? Listen. Carpe, carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. The ancient cultures of Northern Europe 
compared a human life to that of a bird which flies in into one end of a mead hall and then out of the other at night. From darkness, a brief moment of light, then back into darkness. Kind of a bleak picture. But God has entered this bleak and poisoned world and runs the human race with us. Jesus has stared death down. He has suffered its indignity and conquered it. And there is more to this human story than simply that I am born and then die. Jesus has burst this story, this human story, wide open. There is much, much more to me than the dates written on the tombstone and an obituary will ever tell. The psalmist prays that God would satisfy us with his steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And all of us need to be taught to number our days that we have that heart of wisdom. And then you couple that thought with that of the writer of Hebrews' call for the church to exhort one another while it is today. And what results is this combined message that we're thinking about today, a powerful, urgent message for the church to seize the day, you know, strike while the iron is hot, seize the bull by the horns. Take the bull by the horns. What does this exactly look like when the church seizes the day? Well, first let's explore the passage of time the idea of the passage of time. And, you know, we're obsessed with it. We mark it. We, we observe its passing. We say, hey, time goes by so quickly, it seems. And it's true. The so-called Moses Psalm is also obsessed with the passage of time. Just look at Psalm 90. It is riddled with the expressions that belong to the concept of time. And not just... Uh, not any time, mind you, not static time, but time in motion, time that passes, time as expressed in, in such terms as generations, days, nights, years, 70 years, 80 years, a thousand years, the morning, evening, yesterday, today, time, it passes away. It's like we sang earlier, Time, like an ever-rolling stream, soon bears us all away. We fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. Many consider the key verse in Psalm 90 is verse 12. The one that reads, So teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Now, most of the people who have meditated on this psalm, and I really appreciate the thoughts of Reverend Rudy Blank on this psalm, believe that the psalmist is calling us to consider or take into consideration the day of our death. That is, to stop thinking of the day of our departure as something as being a long ways off in order to get a heart of wisdom we may need to take into consideration the 
the fragility not only of life, but also of all human undertaking, such as the things that we have depended upon, uh, the, the supply chain, uh, our health, our stock portfolio, um, friendships and positions, all of these things and more have a way of letting us down. The person who is prepared for the day of his departure or for the day of the Lord is a wise person and not a fool. And as we read or sing or chant this psalm as we have just done, we are struck by this by the jarring references to the wrath, to the anger of God. It was apparent that Psalm 90 was written down during a time of great stress and anguish and suffering. The psalm appears to be interceding for a sinful people, like Moses did after the incident of the golden calf, pleading with God to be merciful to his people and to put away his wrath. And it is in this context that the psalm calls upon us to count our days and to get a heart of wisdom. The psalm, in fact, is is calling out to people suffering the consequences of sin and feeling crushed by the anger of God. The psalmist seems to be calling out to those suffering people not to lose hope. And we remember that after hearing the report of the spies, sent out by Moses to stake out the promised land, the Israelites wished to return to Egypt. And you remember what was their punishment? Forty years in the wilderness. And after enduring so much misadventure in the desert, so many battles, hunger, fiery serpents, and other dangers, Israel must have begun to lose heart, to lose hope. We will never make it to the promised land forever. We will be condemned to march and to go in circles in this wilderness. And Moses would have to remind those people to count their days. The 40 years in the desert will not last forever. How many years are there left? What is the countdown? 16, 15, 14, 13, 12. Hang on, people. And after the 40 years have passed, the Lord will make his grace and his mercy to shine. Bear up, children. Don't sit around dreaming of those melons and the cucumbers and the stews that you ate in Egypt. You have already been marching in the desert for 35 years. That means only five more years are left. Count the days. Keep on marching, struggling, fighting, hoping, praising God, singing songs of his hope. His wrath will pass away. You will enter the promised land. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days 
as you have afflicted us. Today, we here at Bingham Lutheran Church and the other congregations in the Sandhills Lutheran ministry are not like the children of Israel, counting the days and waiting for the moment to enter into the land of Canaan. No, the anointed one has come and has taken away the wrath of God that was threatening to crush us under its weight. We are no longer under the wrath of God, but under grace. The Lamb of God has reconciled us with the Father, and the favor of the Lord has been poured out upon us. And the grace of our Lord Jesus always goes before us and follows us all our days. Forsaking all trust and earthly gain, we find in him our heavenly treasure. And yet still today, the psalm calls upon us to count our years and our days and our generations. We are called to count our days and years not only to remind ourselves that we are mortal and that we have a short shelf life here on planet Earth. We are also called upon to count our days so as to remember that the night is far advanced. The day is at hand, and our salvation is nearer than we first believed. And as we count our days, we remember that there is less time left in which to invest our talents. There is less time left to work for mercies. There is less time to make disciples of all nations. And so we seize the day, and we pray. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And Luther tells us what this work of our hands consists in. Proclaiming the word. Celebrating the sacraments. Sharing the faith. Showing mercy to the needy. Raising up a Christian family in this evil an adulterous generation. The writer to Hebrews brings up an important feature of the nature of the church. Our American culture wants to define it as, in terms of uh, economic and political terms. And the, the church is a voluntary organization of like-minded people who have voluntarily affiliated in, in a not-for-profit corporation. That is true, but is it the truth? Really the truth? Hardly. The church is called into being by Christ himself, imbued by the Holy Spirit, and will preserve, will, will persevere long after the government that has approved the congregational charter and the bylaws has passed away. We are preaching this church, this body which Christ has gathered around his word. And the writer to the Hebrews wants us to see something about this body. It, it encourages each other. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Well, where is the gospel in this? 
Jesus creates a community which encourages one another while it is day. Alone, we're helpless and hopeless, which is why Christ has put us together. Our role in a parish is not to exert power or control over another, one another, but to encourage and to support. And we do this when we pray for one another. And for example, the, the prayer team has been praying for others, you know, phone calls, alerting people through phone calls and texts from the church and praying for those in our community and lately for those suffering or have been hospitalized by COVID and, and thankful to see some people back from the hospital here today. And I know they've been encouraged by the prayers. And we also do this. We also encourage and support each other when we praise and encourage the good and the noble that we see in our neighbor. You know, we live in a really a cynical age in which the cool people are detached and make fun of everything. But here is a place where gentleness and kindness and goodness and patience and peacemaking are valued and encouraged. And then we serve one another, especially in our neighbor's need. You know, the dinners that we hold after a funeral, the scholarship given to high school seniors, the, the Bible given to the unchurched youth, the youth group packing up uh, food and boxes to be given out to those in need, the hand on the widow's arm reminding her that she's not alone, and much more. And we serve together. The preschool planting those gospel seeds in young hearts and minds, the, mid, the Wednesday or the midweek Bible school and youth group teachers, church officers, the ladies who invite people to church, those who deliver certificates um, uh, for gas or deliver food, the guys who cut the lawns and maintain uh, the, the buildings and the lawns. We, we do so much more when we do it together. And there is more that we could put here, but you are getting the idea. <laughs> the church is often lambasted today. Uh, today is boring and out of place. Or worse, a place where narrow-minded and bigoted people get together to reinforce their small worlds. Well, these are not true. We are proclaiming the truth because it is not that the church is always so perfect or good, but because in this collection of sinners, God is doing some really beautiful things. And God has been doing some really beautiful things in the congregations of the Sandhills Lutheran ministry for years, and we're counting them, and we're celebrating them. Two anniversaries coming up, 50 years for the Sandhills Lutheran ministry and 10 years for the Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church. Praise God. And as he has encouraged us all these years with his steadfast love, we also encourage one another. Will you pray with me? O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, 
Be thou our guard while troubles last and our eternal home. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.